0: Welcome back to This Week in Dystopia. I'm your host, Christopher Robichaux. I'm a senior lecturer in ethics and public policy at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government.
1: You know, there are a lot of film goers who've never really thought about the fact that there's black horror. I know from pitching in Hollywood years that often you get blank faces, or used to get blank faces when you talk about pitching a black horror project. The common question, well, do the characters have to be black?
0: This week, I am absolutely thrilled to have joining us Professor Tanana Reeve Dew. Tanana Reeve is a filmmaker, author, and educator steeped in black horror and Afrofuturism. Since 2017, she's been teaching a class at UCLA called The Sunken Place. Inspired by the movie Get Out, the class delves into the century-spanning history of black horror. As the author of a civil rights memoir and 12 novels, Reeve has been honored with an American Book Award, a British Fantasy Award, and an NAACP Image Award. Professor Du, thank you so much for coming on our show.
1: I am so excited to be here.
0: I am... Uh, I'm going to resist immediately jumping into a talk about your wonderful African Immortal series because I want to get to that because I read them, uh, at least a portion of them, growing up, and they uh, they were fantastic. I should just tell listeners.
1: Wow,
0: okay. Uh, yeah, I should just tell listeners if you have not. Yet been exposed to this, run after listening to this podcast. Please run to the bookstore and pick up My Soul to Keep to get you into it. I absolutely adored it. So I'm I'm fanboying here a little bit. It's not a rave,
1: I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> no apology, necessarily. Uh, the, the, the part about when you were growing up is a little scary, but, but hey,
0: I'll take it. <laughs> I, w- I wasn't. Well, t- in my defense, I was. Uh, the, the funny thing about that is I was in college, but I'm still growing up. <laughs> Got it, uh, got it. I, I resist, I think I resist to some extent ever entirely growing up. But yeah, that was that was great stuff. I thought we'd start off by talking, you know, a little bit about, you know, Shudder has this wonderful new documentary, Horror Noir, which looks at black representation in horror movies. You are uh, featured in it. The documentary has met with absolutely fantastic and well-deserved critical praise. It's uh, the sort of thing that everyone is talking about. And it's coming on the heels of Get Out," which was an epic blockbuster leading to uh, an you know Oscar win. Is this a watershed
1: moment? and and if so, how did we get here? I absolutely do believe it's a watershed moment. and And how we got here is a bit circuitous. but <laughs> I have to start, first and foremost, giving praises to uh, Jordan Peele. Let's start there. Mm. Because while it's very true, you know, there's a whole dar- documentary, Horror Noir, about the cinematic history of black horror. So there are other black horror films before Get Out. But Get Out came at a time when it garnered the kind of attention uh, that the the subgenre really needed. To be brought out of the shadow, so to speak, and into more prominence. You know, there are a lot of mm-hmm. goers who've never really thought about the fact that there's black horror. I know from pitching in Hollywood for years that often you get blank faces or used to get blank faces when you talked about pitching a black horror project. The common question, well, do the characters have to be black? Oh, you know, Wow. Um, wow. Which people will say in the meeting to your face. They actually will say that. Um, and I'm sure that's still going on. So I don't want to act like, you know, that's all behind us. But Get Out, A, because of its box office appeal. You know, a $4.5 yeah. million movie that made $250 million. <laughs> that is huge. It, and it became a talk piece. Everybody had to see it. And it... it open doors in, in ways that were absolutely palpable like literally the day after jordan peele won his oscar for best original screenplay making history by the way first black director yes. to do that or that writer rather to do that um we got the green light for horror noir from oh, nice. I mean, literally the day after and i know there are other stories like that i haven't taken a poll but that's just how this works when something comes to hollywood's attention they're like, oh, it's kind of like when I first started publishing, you know, in the '90s. Uh, a lot of that publishing success for me came on the heels of Terry McMillan, mm. because she showed publishers, oh, wait, black people read, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was kind of like, the, oh, black people like horror, and, and more importantly, for for Get Out, it was white people will watch a black protagonist in a horror film. Mm. And, and and still garner that that, garner that kind of success. So I think we are at, at a watershed moment and horror noir is part of that. I love seeing Dr. Robin R. Coleman's book getting the attention it deserves because this is an adaptation this documentary.
0: You say that book is, uh, is, is some years old now, right? I mean, it's, it's...
1: Yeah, it was 2011, so it just shows you it took a minute uh, and, and it's, it's been known in scholarly circles and among horror scholars and Certainly, when I decided to teach my class inspired by Get out at UCLA, it's the first book I got my hands on. Hmm. Uh, it would not have been even possible without the research Dr. Coleman had already laid laid out. you know, some things I knew, some things I hadn't thought about. So it was really exciting for me to um, have the opportunity to to bring her into the spotlight, horror scholarship into the spotlight and and what happens next is is anybody's guess but i will say this i don't think it can roll completely back the way strides have been rolled back in in the past
0: well that's uh that's encouraging and i certainly hope hope that's true i want that to be true and i think you're you're absolutely right but in you know th- that invites the question why didn't this happen? Do you think in the '90s? Why didn't it happen after Candyman? Why didn't it happen after Tales from the Hood? What do you What do you think is different now, and what you know? Compare. Those were excellent films of, of the time.
1: Well, you've mentioned a lot of films that did come to prominence in the 1990s, but why didn't it happen? That you know, that's a very good question. I'll, I'll look at a film like uh, Eve's Bayou. Hmm. written and directed by Casey Lemon, So you're talking about not just a black work. It's a drama, but it has supernatural elements um, and voodoo themes. Um, why didn't it spawn a million knockoffs? You know, it has such beauty to it. Um, you know, a lot of the time black filmmakers, even when they succeed, they, they succeed downward and not upward, hmm. you know? Um, and, the nineties is that period where you did see a lot of strides, as you know, one of my my former book editor, Malaika Adaro, used to always say, a rising tide lifts all boats. So that was true of me and publishing, you know. Oh, okay, horror wasn't at the top of most publishers' lists, but they tried it. It's like, okay, let's give that a try. So you had some horror films, you know, Death by Temptation, um, and and as you mentioned, Candyman although that's a whole conversation unto itself, um, that wasn't a Black-created project, you know? Right. So there are some, some slight differences. And Dr. Coleman does draw distinctions between Black horror and Blacks in horror.
0: Okay. Yep. <laughs> and
1: Candyman yep. definitely falls into that category yep. of Blacks in horror, I think we would argue. But but why didn't it, it stick? I think for the same reason a lot of those filmmakers, a lot of the writers I knew who came of age in the 90s later had trouble getting book contracts. And I think it's even more difficult to make strides in Hollywood because of the costs involved. Even a so-called low-budget film is still millions of dollars. So it's, it's, it's crucial to have alliances and to have the finances in place. And a lot of directors just could not keep the same momentum going as we moved out of the 90s into the early 2000s.
0: You've had firsthand experience with this, with, with pitching and, and trying to get works done in Hollywood. What, what's one of your most, you know, the story that you think we could all learn from about about what that experience was like trying to to pitch black horror in, the, in, in film or in, in literature? Uh, what obstacles did you face that, that uh, you, you feel comfortable sharing?
1: Well, it really is all about persistence. It's almost like the last person standing phenomenon, you know, because I remember very early on, you mentioned my novel, My Soul to Keep, which is about an Ethiopian immortal. Yes. And, you know, just a few little tidbits from the book, he was... I used 12 Years a Slave by Solomon Northup as my research for that, you know, long before that was a film. So that story of abduction, I was intrigued by that story of a Freeman who'd been abducted. And I had that happen to my character, Dawid, and all this kind of thing. So even with that, um, when it was at Samuel Goldwyn Productions at one point, they were talking about, you know we were in the meetings wondering do the characters have to be black you know even that is it's like well, are you kidding me one. really <laughs> 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 it was enslaved. right? and the same thing happened um i'll call it circa 2007 2008 pitching my haunted house possession novel the good house which and i had a pretty good team assembled um blair underwood was a producer forrest whitaker wanted to direct it. And at the time he had a deal, you know, um, as a director. So we were going around pitching that as a big team, you know, a lot of heavyweights at the table. And again, this is a book that is where the the action is sparked by an act of racism. Right. So to have that pitch and then the producer says, "Mm, but do the characters have to be black? It's like, really? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And we all, you know, we all looked at each other. And since Forrest Whitaker was there in the uh, ostensibly as the director, uh, potentially, we all looked to him to answer the question. And he said, "Yes, they they do." <laughs> and that was the end of that. And guess what? The Good House has not been produced yet, um, even though it's been in and out of option. And and a lot of my books, in fairness, have been in and out of option. I have books going into option now. Um, the key, really, to go back to my my original point is is just the patience and persistence. It's it's not for everyone. Uh, I had a I won't say who, but a very prominent writer who'd had success with adaptation, and I looked to as a role model. I told her, hey, you know, we're we're moving to L. A. We really want to try to get, uh, you know, more involved with pushing these projects forward in Hollywood. And she she grabbed me by my shoulders and she said, "Don't do it." Oh, gosh. I'm like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? You're my role model. Oh, you've had more success than anyone I know, and you're telling me it's, it's it's it's. So it's just not for everyone. It's really, for me, you know, I've published many books and I continue to write prose, and prose will always be my first love. But for me, it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube. I'm trying to figure out, you know, I there's a part of me that considers it a little bit like a game to figure out what is the right combination of contacts and positioning and creativity to get traction. In, in Hollywood is someone who's not 25, by the way, you know what I mean? Right, so right, right. <laughs> it's, been, it's really all about the patient's persistence. And I think you have to keep a, a sense of humor about it. Don't let it make you bitter. If it's making you bitter, walk away.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's very insightful. I and mean, it, I, I suppose I'm not surprised, though I still consider it quite remarkable that you were asked at various times, do the characters have to be black given the the, the stories that you were you were pitching? So, um,
1: and, and I'm quite sure someone is having that thought, even if they're not saying it out loud, about some project even today, right? right. So while it's true, as, as as we say in the documentary Horror Noir, it's true that there are some scripts that are being changed – to make the protagonist black. One, I think, prominent example of that would be the passage of the series on Fox right now, Mm. which is based on novels by Justin Cronin, where the young protagonist was a white girl and they have changed her to a black girl. Mm. And I don't know what decision making went into that, but we as black viewers uh, and readers do support (laughs) horror Mm. projects, so it may be a, a numbers game. But it's not the default position by any means in, in any Hollywood meeting to change the characters to black or any people of color when for so many generations, and I mean generations, yes. the mindset has been we are servicing a white audience, period. Yeah. I want to
0: talk a little bit about the genre. I am, uh, I'm an uh, unapologetic, uh, lover of horror. And okay. so, so, yeah, it's science fiction and fantasy to, to lesser extent, though. I mean, I, I read them voraciously, but horror, horror is my thing. I did grow up reading, you know, just consuming Peter Straub and Stephen King and, and a whole bunch of these folks. I still revisit them to this day. You know, yes. there's always been, it seems to me, despite the success of some people like Stephen King th- there's always been a view both in the literary world and in the cinematic world that you know the horror genre uh, in particular uh, is you know you're slumming it if you're writing or producing something here um which has exactly. been which has been very frustrating so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know what drew you to this genre and if you also think that there's something in the horror genre, something that the horror genre has to offer to, that can capture the black experience in a way that other genres or non-genre fiction can't.
1: Oh, I love that question. Um, I, I mean, it's. I also, I think I have a three-part answer to that question. I I, I came into horror from my mother, really. My mother uh, was a civil rights activist. Her name was Patricia stevens Du she's in wikipedia you know and we and we co-wrote a civil rights memoir together uh, freedom in the family a mother-daughter memoir of the fight for civil rights so if you see her photo you see a very serious-minded activist and she was a very serious-minded person um held on i think to some trauma and anger well i know for a fact that she held on to some trauma and anger not just from the movement. But, in the decades following, watching these gains roll back, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't live to see uh, our current uh, leadership in the White House, But she certainly would not have been surprised. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Okay. Yeah. And yet, it was this woman who wore visible scars from her her movement work in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, during a nonviolent march in 1960, a police officer threw a tear gas canister in her face because he recognized her as a student leader and said, I want you. And she wore dark glasses. And if you look up photographs of her, most often she was photographed in dark glasses ever since that, like till the day she died, uh, because she had sensitivity to light following this tear gas incident and state violence. So you take someone with tangible trauma that she's wearing every day from the civil rights movement why is someone like that so excited about horror uh and and mind you a lot of the horror my mother was excited about and introduced me to didn't necessarily have to do with race at all i mean there wasn't much (laughs) so when she raised me on those creature features on those old universal horror movies the wolfman and dracula the Fly, which is almost my first conscious memory of being horrified at, at the end, but that 1958 version. Help me, like, help
0: me, right?
1: Help me. <laughs> freaked me out. This, this idea of your sort of, your utter lack of significance, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's like, I still get creeped out thinking about it. I have to say, as a sideline, doesn't hold up to me as much as the Jeff Goldblum version. But anyway, I digress. Um she so so her attraction to horror even with race extracted from it okay i think was just a safe way to visualize terror hmm. to bring it outside of your experience outside of your memory and watch it visualized on a screen through metaphor through allegory and to have an opportunity to go through all those cycles of emotions tension and release, and every once in a while, the the characters will will win, you know, in horror. Not not all the time, but sometimes they do. But even if they don't, you can exhale and say, "Whew, well, it's just a movie." And and any horror movie is certainly less frightening than the real life horror. She felt as a black woman growing up in the United States, trying to raise daughters, when um when she could see. That white supremacy and the the efforts to dismantle the work that she and my father, he's still living, a civil rights attorney named John dew both helped accomplish, right? It's it's mm. She was terrified to have grandsons because of state violence against young black men and all this. So she lived with a lot of real life horror. And horror was her way, I think, of coping. Now, me as a kid, I just saw it as something fun, like a roller coaster ride. And it's only um more recently, as I'm dealing with my own traumas, you know, uh, most notably the loss of my mother, that I see the relationship between trauma and horror as a healing element. The way I also use comedy, I also love stand-up, and, and I think there's a, a relationship between comedy and horror in a weird way. But, But... But they're, they're two sides of a coin, I think. But but yes, when you bring race into it, though, and this is where my course at UCLA comes in. And I also, by the way, teach a, a version of it online that's not affiliated with UCLA because so many people had questions about this course. So it's sunkenplaceclass.com.
0: Um, I'm going to be all over this,
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah And the whole So the point was, okay, great. It's great that we have Get Out, but it's not all just about Get Out, right? right? Get Out is the linchpin where I can look at you know, the history of Black horror and most specifically how Black creators and some non-Black creators who are allies have used the horror space as a way to visualize racial trauma. Um, one example that comes to mind very vividly would be uh, Tales from the Hood, directed by Rusty Cundiff, which is four horror shorts with uh, an interstitial story that all deal with real-life horror, police brutality, um, toxic masculinity and abuse, uh, gang violence, racist politicians. As I said in the the documentary, Horror Noir, he even has a character use the slogan, uh, an original American, isn't it about time? And, and, and wow. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if I saw that as an actual campaign slogan today. So it, it, right. even though this right. film was made in 1995, it's still so resonant now, right? And and that's one example of how to do it. Um, George A. Romero with Night of the Living Dead in 1968, although quite famously, he always maintained, and I grudgingly must accept that it was an accident of casting. Yeah, uh, that, that brought Dwayne Jones into but that But what an accident role. then, huh? <laughs> but what, you know, but I mean, there's accident. there are accidents and there are accidents. <laughs> right. you know what I mean, I think right. you, have to, you have to have a, a certain amount of progressivism even to consider him for the yes. part, even if he was the best audition. It happens all the time, trust me. So he had to be of a mindset where... Uh, if he didn't see it as an immediate social bonus, then at least he wasn't willing to let it stop him. Okay, so so I give him credit for that, and I have to think that shooting this film in 1967 against the backdrop of uh, the civil rights era, where German shepherds were set loose on protesters, and you had uh, you know lynch mobs uh, and and people hunting down civil rights activists and murdering them, how could you not see the social impact you're having in your dailies, looking through that camera lens with this right. black man Dwayne Jones in the forefront, basically exerting authority over all of these white characters um, and killing white zombies, and so there's there's a, a case I think of an ally using horror uh, specifically as a way to reflect um, tumultuous social times and the fears of either white society that was afraid of losing its its power or and or black viewers who are afraid that even their best and brightest will just ultimately be shot down at the end sorry for the spoiler if if people haven't seen that (laughs) it's been since 1968 so you shouldn't see it by now
0: (laughs) oh wow yeah thank you so much for that very very powerful stuff. sorry uh as well, to hear about the loss of your mother. I recently lost mine as well, and my mother is also responsible for introducing me to horror. So uh, that really that really hits home. Um, I'm I,
1: very sorry about your loss. I, I know exactly um, how it cuts. And isn't it interesting that our mothers are the ones that bring horror to us?
0: Yes. Now, that, there, There's a lot there, isn't there? Um, I'm
1: not sure. What, and, and you know, I've heard so many people tell that story. So for a lot of us, we are multi-generational horror fans. And I don't know if you've ever wondered what your mother's attraction to it was or if she ever saw the relationship with trauma, but I definitely did see that with mine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm representing now. I, I smiled when you were talking about uh, growing up with the Universal Horror uh, because I'm wearing one of my uh, Famous Monsters of Filmlands t-shirt featuring Frankenstein fighting uh, the Wolfman. Uh, so, there you go. I love this stuff. That was the stuff back then. Uh, that so was good. It. So good. I want to ask a question taking us squarely into the literary realm, though it's going to uh, spill over. So one of the things that I've always found challenging is you know, how to – wrestle with authors in this space for whom it, it becomes quite clear, uh, that they were profound racists. And of course, the person I'm probably most uh-huh. thinking of is, is H.P. Lovecraft, right? Uh, right. I, uh, I was exposed to Lovecraft early on when I was, you know, as a, as, as I mentioned, as a devout consumer of Stephen King, Stephen King writes, you know, Lovecraft, Lovecraft, Lovecraft. You go, you read all this Lovecraft. The prose was insane and I liked its insanity. You know, I liked the Cthulhu mythos. And uh it, it didn't take long to figure out, wow, there's some there's some really problematic things in the writing. And then of course you find out about his views, you know, outside of the writing. But what's interested me, and I'm just so curious on what you think about this, is there's a a, a, a sort of a concerted effort amongst some authors uh not to forgive Lovecraft, which I think is is right, not to apologize for Lovecraft, not to do any of that, but to somehow salvage something in lovecraft for them. I'm thinking of Victor Laval's uh the battle of Black Tom. I'm thinking of Lovecraft Lovecraft Country, which is coming out I think in a series soon, right? I'm thinking there there seems to be folks who say there's something here. What 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 are your thoughts about this? Is this is this a worthwhile effort is or 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 not?
1: It's only natural. I think I'll speak to it more in in general terms. Mm-hmm. Uh because we love our horror tropes and we love our horror forefathers and foremothers. You know, if you're thinking of Mary Shelley, uh, and you, you, it's, it's so hard to watch or read any entertainment, uh, that has a little time behind it that isn't problematic. Yeah. Now, Lovecraft is an extreme example, but in horror, how many other great heroes (laughs) do we have (laughs) you know so I think it's natural that people sort of look to Lovecraft uh, who they remember how it felt when they first read Lovecraft and the idea of sort of creatures and that very specific Lovecraft thing he did Uh, so I'm, I'm not defending it in any way shape or form but I do think it's natural for new creators who were inspired by that but who found it problematic to try to reinterpret it reinvent it mm-hmm. um put as they would say their own stake on it yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. and and therefore yes it does therefore keep his name relevant and you're absolutely right there is a series in development called lovecraft country so there's no really escaping the shadow of, of an artist like a Lovecraft. Um, and I'll let others debate whether or not it should be escaped. Um, what, how you separate art from the artist, and all this kind of thing, that's a whole different show. Uh, but, uh, what I find exciting though is for an artist like a Victor Laval to emerge as, um, a great literary stylist yes, as well, as well as a horror guy, you know, and that's always very lucky. I, I kind of feel, I also feel that way about Jordan Peele and Stephen King, you know, they really could have been creating any kind of uh, art or, or, or writing. And they, they chose horror and this is their thing. And, and I, I'm very glad of that. So, so while people will look to Lovecraft and, and other problematic, you know, predecessors, I really am looking forward to the day when we we move our emphasis to new uh, stories, new mythos, you know, new uh, storytellers.
0: And that's a that's a a great great lead up to the question that we'll we'll have to conclude with, which is just who should we be looking out for in the literary world, and the film world? What's what's on your radar? What's some exciting stuff coming our way that that we should pay attention to?
1: Oh, that's a good question. It's always a hard question. Uh, Victor LaValle is definitely one. Um, he has one, if not a couple of projects in development. And uh, he's known for The Changeling, The Battle the Black Tom. Um, I love a, a writer you can find free at Tor.com who wrote a novelette called The Devil in America. Mm. His name is Kai Ashanti Wilson. And uh, a warning, it is a grim story, but wow, talk about taking real life racial trauma and weaving it into a really, really scary supernatural story. That's the devil in America. Um. Who else is out there? Uh, In terms of filmmakers, Xavier uh, uh, Bergen, who directed Horror Noir, is is a person to watch. You know, this is his first feature, will not be his last. Mm -hmm. So he's someone to look out for. Um, Arshanea uh, Williams, who co-wrote Suicide by Sunlight, Mm -hmm. which was at Sundance this year. Uh, Black Vampires is someone to watch. Um, Chesia Burke as a writer, uh, is, I mean, that's another name I would suggest. You know, oh, I have a great suggestion. If you want just sort of a cross section of writing, especially by black women, Mm. there is a anthology called Sycorax's Daughters. And it is co-edited, I wanna make sure I get all the names on here, uh, by Dr. Kenitra Brooks, Linda D. Addison, and Dr. Susanna Morris. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is a bunch of fiction and poetry in the horror realm by Black women. Who, by the way, in time, should quickly come to the forefront of the Black horror movement. Jordan Peele has been at the forefront to this point be, with his original scripts, but once adaptation becomes more of a thing yes. yeah. and we start to see some more of those, those books that we love adapted to film, we'll see a lot more women's voices in the black horror film space
0: well you can you can guess that one of those i hope to see is my soul to keep
1: <laughs> hey you and me both fingers and toes crossed oh um, you know i can't talk i get there's so many things i'm doing right now i can't talk about i know, or can't talk about you <laughs> but i i'm very hopeful that my soul to keep has been in and out of option and i'm very hopeful that something will happen with that soon
0: yes me too professor tanana reeve do thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today
1: Thank you for having me on the show. Always great to talk to another horror fan. Yay.
0: All right. Have a good day.
1: Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.
0: And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another week in This Week in Dystopia. Come back again. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in Dystopia. Like what you heard? Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. Want more information on each episode? Visit our Medium page, at This Week in Dystopia. To stay in touch with us during the week, follow us on Twitter, at Week in Dystopia. And like us on Facebook. Have ideas for future episodes? Want to share your thoughts? Tweet at us or send us a message. We want to hear from you. This podcast is brought to you by the Ash Center for Democratic Governance and Innovation at the Harvard Kennedy School.